Over time, uh, names come in and out of fashion. A hundred years ago, the most popular names in Scotland were John and Mary. In 2023, they are Noah and Olivia. The popularity of different names change. But one thing that never changes is their importance. I'm often tired when I turn up to our teen cafe on a Friday night. And when I'm tired, my brain stops working. And I confess that occasionally I do get a name or two wrong. I will call Annie, Tammy and Kayla, Hey and Hannah. And when I do this, the young people immediately jump in to correct me. They will not let this go. In fact, they're quite indignant about my forgetfulness. Their names are important to them, and I should get them right. They want to be shown respect and care. I have to say, my greatest fear as a minister is getting the name wrong at a funeral. We all know how much offence that would cause. It would be the talk of the village for weeks Human beings will go to great lengths in order to protect their names. Indeed, there's a whole branch of the legal profession dedicated to just this. Barely a week goes past without a story in the newspapers about a libel or a slander trial. And how many times we hear the defendants outside the courthouse saying that they will do anything to clear their name. And it's not just people who do this. Organisations will do it too. When I was at secondary school, we weren't allowed to take our school tie off until we got home. The school didn't want scruffy students bringing their name into disrepute. Now, the reason we do this is because when something gets attributed to a name, it sticks Nobody here would call their child Adolf, would they? In the book of Proverbs it says, A good name is more desirable than riches, to be esteemed better than silver or gold. None of us would disagree with that. Names are very important, and still today we want our name to be respected and we're deeply offended if it's not in the bible names are much more than just a collection of consonants and vowels names are profoundly descriptive names are chosen carefully for they signify something about a person they communicate what they stand for Take Hannah in the Old Testament, for example. Hannah was barren for a long time. And she prayed to God for a child. And when God did indeed bless her with a son, Hannah was in no doubt as to what she would call him. Her son would be named Samuel, which in Hebrew means, the Lord heard me. Or take Jesus, perhaps the clearest example of all. When Mary was pregnant, the angel Gabriel visited Joseph in a dream and told him exactly what to call the child. His name would be Jesus, 
because he would save the people from their sins. Jesus literally means the Lord saves. At his birth, Jesus was also given another very appropriate name. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And this type of thing happens right throughout the Bible. In scripture, naming someone is a very serious event. Because from that moment on, that name would say something important about who that person was and what they would go on to do. So what about God's name? What does the Bible tell us about that? There's a fascinating moment right at the start of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2. Just after the creation of the world, Adam is given the task of naming all the animals on earth. Can you imagine that? As a child, I struggled to come up with the name of my five pet goldfish, let alone naming every species on the planet. Now, the point of this poetic imagery is that God gave human beings the incredible privilege of oversight over the natural world. By asking him to name the animals, God showed Adam that he was one step above them. Not so he could abuse them, but so he could look after them. But while all of this was going on, there was one being that Adam definitely did not get to give a name to. And that was God. God does not let human beings name him. And there are two major reasons for this. First of all, God is above us. And in the Bible, the inferior never gets to name the superior. And secondly, no human being could possibly name God properly. We could never stretch our minds far enough to do him justice. God is infinitely above and beyond our powers of description. But here is the incredible thing. Despite human beings being unable to name God, we do know God's name. And that is because he has graciously revealed it to us. That's the only way we could have ever come to know it. You see, God wanted to show us that he's not some characterless force. He's not a something. He's a someone. God is a loving, personal being who wants a relationship with us. And for that reason alone, he gave us his name to call him by. I mean, you try having a relationship with someone whose name you don't know. That relationship is always going to be distant and stilted, isn't it? God didn't want that. He didn't want that at all. Now, in the Bible, God first gave his name to a man called Moses as he stood before a burning bush. If you don't know the story, God had just called Moses to an incredibly difficult task. He was going to lead the Israelites out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And instinctively, Moses didn't want to take this task on. So he made a whole list of excuses. And foremost among them was this. Let me read it to you from Exodus 3. 
Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And Moses said to God, Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then it goes on to say, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God's name, his literal personal name, like mine is Andrew, is I am who I am, or I am for short. Now when you really think about it, that name is both powerful and mysterious. It contains a really deep statement of God's character. I am denotes a living being, doesn't it? I am denotes a presence, a vast presence, an intelligence. I am denotes stability. God will always be who he is. And of course, this name is unlike any human name because God is unlike anyone or anything. He is beyond description. God is independent of everything that exists. He can never be contained. Yet, of course, God gave his name to Moses in the attempt to reassure him. And there is something deeply reassuring about this name. I am who I am. I am who I will be. It, it denotes someone who is faithful and unchanging and inherently trustworthy. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. When he makes up his mind to do something, he's not going to stop until it's done. That was good news for Moses and it's good news for us today. And as the Bible goes on, we discover more and more of the ambiguity that this name contains. God says, I am your creator. I am your sustainer. I am your leader, your protector, your healer, your helper, your judge, your saviour, and so much more. God gave Moses his name because he wanted Moses to be able to call on him in times of trouble. When he was in Egypt, confronting wicked Pharaoh, Moses would be on the verge of giving up many times. But in those moments, he could now call on God's name for help. And this is what God wants all of us to do. He wants us to call upon him in times of need, to learn what it is to trust him in good times and bad, to build a relationship with him. But of course, at the same time, in revealing his name to human beings, God also makes himself vulnerable. Yes, he could be called on by name, but now he could also be abused. 
God has left himself open to his name being misused by human beings. And clearly this is something that God is greatly pained by. And hence the reason that he made this commandment that we're looking at today. He wants his name to be protected. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now do you notice in the wording of that commandment that the word Lord appears in small block capital letters. Can you see that? Have you ever wondered why that is? It's worth taking the time to explain. In the Old Testament times, the people realised what an incredible privilege it was to know God's name. And they also knew how much God wanted it respected. So they reached the point where they held God's name in such high regard, they tried to avoid using it altogether. They dared not speak it or write it in case it was misused. So when scribes came to the point of writing God's name in the sections of the scriptures where it appears, they would just use the consonants. There are four of them. I am who I am is made up of... Y-H-W-H. They took all the vowels out. And whenever they came to write down those four letters, they would wash, they would put on new clothes, they would get a new quill, they would write the name, and then they'd throw that quill away. It's fair to say this slowed the writing process down a little bit. And then whenever a Jew came to read aloud what the scribes had written, and they come to these four letters, Y-H-W-H, they don't say them. They insert the word Lord instead. So whenever you're reading the Old Testament and you come across the word Lord in block capital letters, what is in the original Hebrew is Y-H-W-H. I am who I am. The personal name of God. And it occurs more than 6,800 times. Now I know that that sounds incredibly strange. It sounds very ritualistic to us. But the whole point of the scribes' efforts was to show God reverence. They knew it was an incredible honour that God had given his name. In fact, that name came to be the centre of their existence, both as individuals as a nation. They were God's people. He was their God. They were the chosen worshippers of the Lord. I am who I am. So how are we to think about God's name as Christians? Well, I hope by knowing what we do now, that we can begin to realise what an incredible privilege we receive through Jesus. You see, we believe that Jesus was God come to earth. And one of the reasons that we know this is because while he was here, he called himself, I am. 
In fact, he used it multiple times. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And every time Jesus did that, he was declaring that he was the full revelation of God. I am who I am on earth. Now what this means, and get ready for this because it should make our heads spin, is that when we say the name Jesus, we are speaking to God on first name terms. We are speaking to God in a way that a Jew still today would feel completely unable to do. In Jesus, the gap between heaven and earth, God and humanity, has been bridged. And we can now call him by name. While he was on earth, Jesus also gave us a new way of addressing the great I am. He said that we can call him Father. In fact, we can go further than that. We can use the word that a young child might call their father. We can call him Abba or Dad. Now, many of us have used that word. When a child calls for their dad, they're expressing the closest of relationships. They are expressing confidence and intimacy and love. And this is the incredible place that we now find ourselves in. Rather than having to wash and change and break quills every time we mention God, we can now simply say, Father, Jesus. And when we call those names in prayer, God hears and God responds. And yet, Though we can now speak to God on first name terms, this incredible privilege, we must never downplay the majesty or the holiness of God. We cannot treat God's name with any less honour than those Old Testament scribes did. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he powerfully summed this up. What did he teach us? We are to say... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Or as a modern translation puts it, our Father in heaven, help us to honour your name. You see, we have to balance this intimate familiarity with profound honour and respect. We can never forget what an incredible privilege it is even to know God's name, let alone speak it out loud. So to sum up what we've thought about, God's name is very special. And by him giving it to us, he is demonstrating his great love for us, his desire to relate to us. And God's name, like all of the names in the Bible, captures something of who he is. And so we cannot abuse it without abusing him. 
Now, as human beings, we are sinful, and we do things that means at times we probably deserve our names being misused. But God's name will never deserve misuse. And it would be utterly foolish and deeply immoral of us to do so. And this is true for I am who I am. It's true for Lord. It's true for Father. It's true for Jesus. It's true for Holy Spirit. All of those names that denote who God is, we have to show respect to. So the third commandment is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I very briefly want to finish with some practical suggestions on how we might keep this commandment and honour God's name today. First of all, quite simply, we should not use God's name to swear. Did you know in the Oxford English Dictionary, under the name Jesus, you get the definition, slang, an exclamation of surprise or dismay. And in one recent edition of that dictionary, that definition came before Jesus being described as the founder of the Christian religion. Jesus is literally known in some parts more as a common expletive than as the saviour of the world. And when we think about it, we would never allow our spouse's name to be used like that. We would never allow our children's names to be used like that. If we heard someone being flippant about them or pouring scorn on their name, we'd be deeply offended for them. And we'd quickly interject. We would challenge the person. We would stand up for the ones that we love. As Christians, we must not use God's name in a way that is dishonouring to him. As we said to the children, if you're not using it to talk to God or to talk about God, you shouldn't use it. And we must also challenge those who do. Now I know from my time working on a building site, this is incredibly difficult to do. And I chickened out of it loads of times and I still do today. But there are creative ways that we can do it. If you hear someone say, oh, God knows, we can interject with, yeah, he actually does. Or if you hear someone exclaim, Jesus, you can interject, oh, you know my best friend, do you? Now, they may look at us like idiots, but it might start a good conversation. But either way, we have stood up for God's honour, and that will have pleased him. The second thing we must not do is name drop God. Human beings love to name drop people. It makes us look good. I was speaking to such and such the other day. Did you know I was having dinner with the captain of the golf club? Do it all the time. And over the centuries, people have done this with God's name. And it's had terrible consequences. God's name has been used to justify everything from apartheid in South Africa to death camps in Nazi Germany to violence on both sides in Northern Ireland. Here's a petrol bomb in the name of Jesus. To invoke God's name to oppress or to do an act of violence is a deep betrayal of this commandment. In churches today, you get it like this. God told me that we should remove the pews. God told me we should paint the church blue. I've even had this. God told me 
I should leave my spouse. Trust me, as a minister, I get this all the time. Now, God does speak to us and he does show us things, but we have to have the humility to accept that we might have got it wrong. And we can't use God's name to justify what we want. Name dropping God is breaking this commandment. Third, we're not to cheat God of the honour he is due, which is the opposite of the last point I've just made. If God has answered a prayer, or if he's provided for us in a certain way, or he's empowered us to achieve a certain task, we should name him and give thanks to him. If we take all the credit for it and leave God out of the conversation, we are taking the honour that is due to his name. I read a great quote from the uh, Christian writer J. John this week. Humility is to receive praise and pass it on to God intact. Isn't that great? Humility is to receive praise and pass it on to God intact. As believers, we are to give God the credit. So that means we are to name him when he does something for us. And of course, we do that regularly in worship, delighting to gather together to lift his name high. And finally, we are not to live an inconsistent life. Think about it. As Christians, we literally bear the name of Jesus, don't we? We represent him in the world. We make his name known. Everywhere we go, his name goes with us. It's as if it's marked upon us. So we have to try and act in accordance with that name. In his letter to Titus, Paul criticised some false believers saying, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. We are not to bring the name of Jesus into disrepute by our behaviour. To say one thing and do another. We are to honour God's name by our actions day by day. Because everyone on Isla knows that we are a Christian. A bearer of the name of Jesus. So to conclude. The use of God's name is at the very heart of our relationship with the Holy Creator. And through Jesus, we have this incredible privilege that we can speak to God on first name terms. We don't have to go through all the rigmarole of washing and dressing and breaking pens. We can just speak to him, Jesus, help me. But at the same time, the third commandment specifically calls us not to abuse this privilege, not to misuse God's name we can call on him in prayer and when we do amazing things happen but we're not to misuse this in Romans 10.13 it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved when a name can do that we must never misuse it